Armed American Radio listeners, today's Armed American Radio's recorded version of the national radio broadcast, the Armed American Radio podcast, is being brought to you today and every day by North American Arms. Make sure to visit NorthAmericanArms.com for the finest mini revolvers on planet Earth. NorthAmericanArms.com. Enjoy the show. American Radio's Daily Defense. Armed American Radio's Daily Defense, because they don't want me to, that's why I do it. Presented by X Insurance. X Insurance. From the Sig Sauer Studios on the Daniel Defense Platinum Microphone. They're never going to stop us here. Here is your host, the loudest conservative voice in America fighting the enemies of freedom, Mark Walters. That would be me. Welcome inside Armed American Radio Ranches, Georgia Ranches, Sig Sauer Studios. Mark Walters in front of this Daniel Defense powerful and platinum microphone. X Insurance is presenting all of it. Looking forward to seeing X Insurance and Daniel Defense and Car Arms and North American Arms and Goat Guns and a whole bunch of other people coming up. Monday, and it's garbage day at the ranch today. Monday's coming quick. That's because we're going to be out in Vegas for the shooting, hunting, and outdoor trade show, networking, and having some fun. And I will not be broadcasting. The show will be going off for you, but Bill Frady will be sitting in for me for the week. He's excited about that. He will be a guest on the program Friday to kick off that week as well, and he's got a lot to cover with you. We just love Bill Frady. We just love Bill Frady. Greg in Dallas, Texas, how you doing? We're also big fans of Daniel Defense, Greg. Uh, yeah, we are. Doing just fine over here. Can you uh, be so kind? Would you be so kind as to tell people where to watch the program and uh, participate in the chat, listen, and everything else that's fun about the show? Sure, and it's important to note we're above freezing in Texas today. So, hey. We're not. Thank you very much for that. (laughs) Oh, I am looking at 42 degrees. Anyways, if you'd like to look at Mark, head on over to armedamericanradio.org or .com. On the right-hand side of that website, you'll see the menu icon. Just give that a click, and all those links will pop open for you. You'll have the watch live, the listen live, and the podcast link. Also, that shop link if you want to head over and support the show. Um, we've also got a live chat. If you'd like to join that, just head on over to your app store, grab the Telegram messaging app, create your profile, and search for Armed American Radio Conversations. Wham, bow, pow. Wham, bow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'll get Wham, it. Wham, pow, bam, zamo, <laughs> whatever it is. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go right over to our first guest today, Lee, the gunwriter Williams, my buddy, my brother. From another mother. Lee, we've been doing this a long time together. You know how I count the years? I count them by shot shows. <laughs> how fast okay. they come, right? You know, it's uh, yeah. this is my 24th. I, I went to my first shot in 2000, man. Oh, wow. And here it is, 2024. I, I look back and I think, seriously? Yeah. And it just, it, it never stops, man. It just, time just keeps Ooh. marching on by. But it's a beautiful thing. Well, I'm glad you're going to have some time for yourself at this SHOT Show. You're always so damn busy. Not this time. No, not this time. I'm going. I'm going to have some fun. I'm networking. I've got a lot yeah. of appointments and all that fun stuff. And, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, all the appointments, that's all going to benefit you. That's why we do it every single year. And it is coming up quickly. So we'll be heading out there on Monday, and we'll be spending time with uh, Breitbart News, AWR Hawkins, all of our partners, and soon-to-be new partners, I can promise you that. Lee. Ooh, where do you want to start today? I hope hate to throw the onus on you, but I can't help this. I, and, Greg, you can feel free to jump in here as well. 
But I just read a story before we went on air. Donald Trump's having a lot of fun in that courtroom. He just telling that judge anything he wants. That judge says something. Trump smarts off to him. Judge says, you would love that, wouldn't you? Trump goes, yeah, I would love that. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, you can't do that. And gets up and walks out of the courtroom. I don't know anybody else be able to do that but Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Lee, I love it. And I love what I'm seeing. Give me your thoughts on what happened in Iowa. Let's start. Oh, before we do that, Greg, did you want to say anything? That's kind of fun stuff to talk about. I'm just happy Trump's giving it back to him. I uh, have not seen a lot of that footage, and I am just so happy to hear it. Uh, (laughs) That judge deserves everything he gets. Oh, just by looking at his face, too. He's one of those people, Lee, you you look at his face and you just want to go, oh, where's my rolled up copy of the Constitution, you know? Yeah, look at his hair, too. He looks like he combs (laughs) it with a kitten, you know? (laughs) Hey, you know, fun to rag on a judge from time to time when you get an opportunity. So, Lee, what'd you think about Iowa? Talk to us a little bit. You're down there in Florida, DeSantis. What's the word on the streets before we get into the gun stuff? We've only got you for a half hour, so we'll move quick. Well, I knew it was going to happen. You knew it was going to happen. You knew it was going to be a blowout. Uh, I don't know where uh, Governor DeSantis goes from here. He's polling like 5% in New Hampshire right now. So we shall see. Um, you know, I I will support whoever, whoever can get the nomination, uh, but I think we all know who that's going to be. Yeah, that's going to be Donald Trump. Um, yeah. Nikki Haley, I say, unfortunately, Nikki Haley may fare a little better in New Hampshire than she did in Iowa. However, I believe nothing from the mainstream media. Absolutely nothing. And the reason they're telling you that is because they're trying to sway the election, you know, to give her more votes. That's what they're trying to do. They have a motive they clearly, for everything they do. They clearly want her more than anybody else. I mean, half of her voters in Iowa were Dems that had flipped parties. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. yeah, they clearly yeah. Do, they would do anything to get her in. And DeSantis would be their second choice. Who knows the Vivek for getting out? You know, a guy had some good ideas. Loved what he said about dumping ATF. Loved that. But, you know, other people hopefully will pick up that banner and carry it forward. Yeah, yeah it's going to be interesting to watch. But uh, I think this is over already. Now, yeah. be, you know, DeSantis is your governor down there. I love DeSantis. I think he, I think he would be far better for the Second Amendment than Nikki Haley, who doesn't stand a chance anyway, don't know why we're wasting our time, but we're going to briefly for just a second. Because she's the establishment pick. That's why the media is doing what she's doing. That's why the Democrats are voting for her. You know, it's why Kamala Harris today just called half of America the crazies. She's scared to be running against the crazies. Anybody who doesn't agree with you is crazy. This is going to be a nasty, nasty, nasty election. And ladies and gentlemen, I got to tell you, uh, well, just buckle in and prepare. Lee, any advice before we move on? Yeah, well, if she's talking about crazy, she clearly knows crazy. So, uh, I mean, God, look, she can't even complete a simple sentence. It would take her 15 minutes to tell you that you're on fire, man. She's such a word salad. So if, you know, she knows crazy, all she has to do is look in the mirror. What has she done? Nothing. I mean, what has she, she, she done? hasn't done anything. Nothing. Absolutely no. nothing. So let's stay on the topic of media. You know, mentioned fake news, right? You have over at Armed American News, fake news headline. Johns Hopkins, more gun control needed to prevent second civil war. Now, you're getting some legs on this story on on Twitter. And anytime you put guns, gun control and civil war in a headline, you're going to get looks. Tell us what what you're referring to here, because just the well, alone, on the surface is frightening. 
I got to give credit to Alan because he's the one that grabbed this study. This study had made it by me. Uh, and Alan sent it over and said, here you go. Uh, yeah, it was done for Johns Hopkins Center for Gun Violence. That's part of their uh, Johns Hopkins Michael Bloomberg School of Public Health. And you, you talk about a perfect storm. I mean, they have biased authors written by three attorneys, all of them working for Johns Hopkins. All of them have worked for uh, one of them worked for Brady. The other one worked for Educational Fund to Stop Gun Violence and, and the Coalition to Stop Gun Violence. Excuse me. All three of them worked for that. So you got biased anti-gun authors. You got a biased report. And it was paid for by the Joyce Foundation and the Morningstar Foundation. And we looked at them, and they're both anti-gun groups, anti-gun nonprofits. And, of course, the Bloomberg School of uh, Gun Violence is run by former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, the anti-gun billionaire who hates us and hates guns. So what do you think was going to come out? you got a 32-page study that says defending democracy. Basically, they're saying if you don't take the gun control that they want, we're going to have a civil war. And what do they want? Well, it's pretty much the standard. They want additional laws for carrying firearms. They want tactical training prohibitions. So that's their new one, you know, anti-militia laws, which now yeah, yeah. it just means that they're going to crack down on tactical trainers. Of course, they want additional gun-free zones, expanded red flag, and their holy grail, uh, repeal of state preemption laws, which are the bedrock upon which pro-gun laws are all founded. We lose preemption here in Florida. Any little school board, county commission, you name it, can write their own anti-gun laws and the whole state would be a patchwork of crap. Let me make you feel better. That ain't going to happen. Yeah. Okay. It, for a myriad of reasons, it's not going to happen. But nonetheless, it is part of what they want. And I, I think it, it, we would be remiss if we didn't mention here, when they talk about defending democracy, that means disarming yeah. you, ladies and gentlemen. Their well, idea of defending democracy is disarming the populace, Lee. We, go ahead and take us until we hear the music. Well, it's interesting that Biden, part of his new campaign, since he can't run on his record, their whole thing is all about defending democracy. So obviously this thing was shared. That theme was shared with these authors way before they wrote their report. And this is just a buttress Biden's uh, re-election campaign. He's all about defending democracy. Now they're giving you a way to defend democracy, which is flawed, of course, because it would eventually lead to what they always want, total civilian disarmament. And don't think for a second that's hyperbole. That is what they want. There's nothing hyperbole about it at all. It's their ultimate goal. Lee, the gun writer Williams, joins me for another segment here on Armed American Radio's Daily Defense. And then well, lo and behold, who's coming up for the second half of the first hour? The executive director of the Second Amendment Foundation himself, Adam Kraut, will be here to talk about a remarkable, remarkable Fourth Circuit decision. We'll be right back. Defense firearms are guaranteed for life, trusted worldwide, and designed, engineered, and manufactured right here in America. Daniel Defense, freedom, passion, precision. So, Greg, real quick before we get started again, listening to the Daniel Defense rejoin from Jim, I uh, I was talking with Daniel Defense yesterday, and and uh, we were planning our our show, you know, appointments and all that fun stuff. Yep. 
and the Hard Rock, you know, going to be at the the Daniel Defense Party at the Hard Rock. They take the whole top floor of the Hard Rock. All right. National bands. I mean, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It's the real deal. And I said, hey, uh, guys, is it as cold down there? You know, because they're down in Savannah. Right. And he said, man, it's getting chilly down here. It's 68 today. I said, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's all relative, you know. And we're, we're talking with Lee. In Florida, hey Lee, go ahead, smack me in the face. What's the temperature down there in my hometown of Tampa? It's frigid. It's sixty degrees. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I know. And you, you folks are walking around in coats. There's women walking around in full winter coats down there. I'm telling you, it's, there it's, are, there are. I know there are. I know that, that you know people said yeah, yeah, because we had a um, it was a Burlington coat factory, the one out on Fowler Avenue, down in there. Now what's the hood? It's the old university mall. I don't think it's there anymore, but yeah, it it was crazy. You go to, as soon as the humidity goes away, it does get cold. When you're used to, you know, 97 degrees and, and 90% humidity every day for seven, eight months, the humidity disappears and, you know, 75 degrees feels chilly without that humidity. So anyway, fun stuff. I just wanted to rub it in because I miss my hometown and Savannah's <laughs> a beautiful area too. I really do. All right. So let me go back to this this gun violence or gun violence solutions for just a second, because I want to go back and focus on this civil war aspect of this. You know, we're, we closed out that previous segment by reminding you listeners that they do in fact want to take your guns, but I find it ironic. That's not really the right word to use. Let me say this first and you can find, you can pick your own word for what I'm saying, but it is astonishing to me that these people want to try to convince you Lee, that in order to avoid civil war in America, in order to be patriotic in America, you have to get rid of your guns. That to them is the patriotic thing to do, isn't it? We don't need them. We shouldn't have them. And and that's, that's twisted. I guess they don't understand the history of the nation. And the Constitution itself, which we know, but kind of theorize. Why, why would you suppose they feel that way? Well, they, they are into revisionist history. I mean, in this entire document, they, they talk, uh, a third of it talks about the January 6th protest, which they call a riot. And, and then they talk about real insurrections, the Shays Rebellion of 1786, the Whiskey Rebellion of 1791, and then the Civil War. Now, the one insurrection that they leave out was this little thing that happened from about 1775 to 1781, where we kind of needed our guns. They never mentioned that at all. It's all this uh, other stuff, including that horrible insurrection on January 6th, where the only casualty was a 35-year-old Air Force veteran who was unarmed and shot and killed by Capitol Police. Ashley Babbitt. Yeah. Yeah, it's a terrible story, but... Ladies and gentlemen, they're going to twist. Go back to Kamala Harris briefly. I think she said that to she was on The View, right? I think when she made those stupid comments. Is that where it was? The View? I I believe so. I believe you're right. And I guess uh, she was talking with Joy Behar or something. I don't know. I don't watch that dopey show, but I did catch the alert and I found it interesting that you know, it's very clear the direction they're going to take the campaign, and that is to literally try to destroy half the nation that doesn't vote for them. If you don't vote for them, you are an insurrectionist, 
you are an enemy of America. You are a Nazi. This is because, and they're saying all this because this is the way they're painting Trump and the whole MAGA thing. You know, Lee, how do you expect this to turn out? Is, is, is violence a real possibility in America coming into this election in 2024 or beyond? I think there will be violence. I don't think it'll be connected to the uh, election. I am most concerned right now about who's coming across our southern border and the heat that we're getting in the Middle East. I guarantee you there's sleepers that are coming across that are either Houthis or associated with Hamas or Hezbollah. You know they're taking advantage. These guys uh, are fighting for a caliphate. Okay, they're long-term planners and long-term thinkers. They are flooding the border with sleepers, uh, guys that have been in combat in the Middle East for decades, and they're just waiting for orders to do. I think that's where we're going to see the worst violence. There may be some violence associated with the election. I think it'll probably be from the other team. It'll be left wing. Um, yeah, you got to look at what happened with yeah. the anarchists out in Portland yesterday, lighting a car on fire of a yep. local council member or something because they don't like that person. And it, they look sent it they out did, as a warning to others, it. right? Look what they did to the White House. I mean, had that yeah. been, oh, my God, if that had been uh, any uh, right-wing group, they'd all be in, well, look, I mean, look at January 6th. They'd be in prison for decades. They'd be held without trial. Trump gets back in office. He's going to pardon them all. Yeah, that's that's, what, that's what's fitting to happen, as we say down south. Tell you know I'm no fan of uh, Sheriff Kilkenny in Pennsylvania. You want to tell us about this goofball <laughs> you wrote about this guy? We've talked about him before. I think you and I have talked about him before, but this guy's a lay me down patsy. And you wrote a story about it. Came out about four or five days ago. Tell us about Kilkenny in Pennsylvania. What's going on with this Montgomery County Sheriff out there? Well, we I should I should uh, uh, note up front that a SAF Second Amendment Foundation has filed suit against him for his unconstitutional use of warrantless searches. This guy was looking for uh, something to do. His sheriff's office doesn't patrol. They only got 115 deputies. He's in a Philly suburb. They don't patrol. They don't respond to 911 calls. Their core responsibilities are just courthouse security, transporting prisoners, serving warrants, and other legal legal crap. So he got sounds like a marshal service to me. Yeah, yeah, or a security firm. Basically, they got courted, and he got groomed by an anti-gun group in PA called Ceasefire PA. And and uh, Second Amendment Foundation got the emails that show this guy who runs that gun control group basically grooming the sheriff into going into gun shops and conducting an inspection like their ATF. They don't know what they're doing. The, The emails spell it out. They don't have a clue on, on what to, to even ask for. And nobody can tell us right now, although there are some good people researching it, whether or not these local deputies can even put their hands on some of these federal documents, like the 4473, or whether the gun dealer can even lawfully turn those over for them. We have some advice in the group for the federal firearm licensees in their jurisdiction. Make sure you get a subpoena if somebody wants to see something, or at least something on sheriff's office letterhead. Because this whole thing, it, it's clearly just another way to harass gun dealers out of business. Yeah, with 30 seconds left, I'm going to have to close it out with that. But real quick, does the Trump administration smack down the ATF and rein in the FBI in, 20, in 2024 or 2025 after inauguration? I hope so. We do not need the ATF. The ATF should be disbanded, period. Their duties can be handled by other federal agencies. And they have shown that they're willing to break the law to keep the, pre- the people in, in power happy. Does Dettelbach get fired? Re- yes, Dettelbach needs to be fired. 
That's <laughs> a beautiful thing. Lee, the gun writer, Williams. You can read everything he writes. He is the investigative journalist over at the Second Amendment Foundation, my partner over at Armed American News. Make sure to visit Armed American News. Check out all of our partners that make it possible, armedamericannews.com or .org. Lee, the gun writer, Williams. Thank you, brother. Coming up next, Adam Kraut. following segment of Armed American Radio is being brought to you by Defender Coffee. When you drink Defender Coffee, you're making a donation to a gun rights organization of your choice that protects and defends your freedoms. Welcome back to the show. Defender Coffee is great stuff, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't tried it yet, do yourself a solid and make sure to pick up Defender Coffee. You can visit them at DefenderCoffee.com. And guess what happens when you do that? You get to support the Second Amendment with every sip of coffee that you take. How does that work? Well, because they donate a portion of the profit to where you want it to go. And guess where I send mine? The Second Amendment Foundation. Why? Well, because it's the Second Amendment Foundation that is winning every lawsuit out there. 85% victorious fighting in courtrooms across the country for your gun rights. So when you can drink coffee and support the Second Amendment, that is a win-win all the way around. Also, make sure to pick up your goat guns, goatguns.com. They make fantastic gifts for yourself and others. And we do have that Valentine's Day coming up. I don't like to call it a holiday, but I guess they call it a holiday. But these things make great gifts. So make sure to pick some of those up. Good for all ages, 12, 13 on up, even 8 on up, I think. Great gifts, goatguns.com. Make sure to check them out. Joining me now. Executive Director of the Second Amendment Foundation, Adam Kraut. Adam, welcome in. Looking forward to seeing you in a few days, my friend. Shot Show is upon us again, believe it or not. Like I had breakfast with you at the Grand Lux Cafe. Feels like just a month ago, and here we are again. That was a year ago. Welcome in, brother. Hey, thanks for having me, Mark. Hey, always a pleasure. Let's go. Let's, I want to spend the half hour talking with you about this full appeals court considering Maryland assault weapons ban. There's a lot going on here, so let me just read a part of this for the benefit of the listening audience who is hearing this for the first time. But ladies and gentlemen, the Fourth Circuit agreed yesterday to hear three Second Amendment cases and bonk in March. But there's, there's, there's some nuance here. We'll go there in just a moment with Adam. A federal appeals court has said it will hear a series of major challenges to gun control laws in March, including a case seeking to strike down Maryland's ban on assault weapons in the wake of a 2022 U.S. Supreme Court ruling that broadly expanded gun rights. The Fourth Circuit of Appeals on Friday took the rare step of voting to allow all 14 of its active judges to hear the challenge to Maryland's law before what we've been talking about on this show. The three-judge panel that heard the arguments in the case in December of 2022 could rule. Adam Kraut, this is nefarious. I'm a cynic. I know why they're doing this, but I want to hear it from you. What's the makeup of that 14-judge panel, the full panel of the Fourth Circuit? Well, the Fourth Circuit is not a friendly circuit to be litigating Second Amendment issues in. Uh, if you'll recall, the prior assault weapons ban challenge, Colby, uh, which was heard on bonk by the Fourth Circuit, um, they 
kind of created a whole entire rule that nobody else had as far as how they would look at uh, these types of firearms and, of course, found that Maryland's assault weapons ban was, in fact, constitutional. So uh, the fact that the Fourth Circuit decided on its own to rehear, well, not even to rehear, but to hear this on bonk uh, post-Bruin on a first pass is not exactly what one would call confidence-inspiring. Okay, but I want I want to go into why the three judge panel had two Republican appointees and one Democrat appointee on that three judge panel. Now, let's go back in history a little bit. Post Bruin, that Fourth Circuit case, ladies and gentlemen, pay careful attention to this, because this is the case we believe you've heard us say this, that we're it, Gottlieb has been on the program over the last few years discussing getting one of these assault weapons ban cases. That's their wording, not mine, to the Supreme Court post Bruin. This case was working its way up. It was granted cert by the Supreme Court, remanded back to the Fourth Circuit, and vacated. Correct, Adam? Would you explain that process? Did I get that right in in the correct order? Yeah. So this case was filed in, jeez, uh, my memory is failing here. I believe it was December 2020. Um and that was, of course, before Bruin was decided. So when Bruin went up on cert, uh, the the strategy behind this case was we we already knew that the uh, Fourth Circuit had an en banc opinion that controlled assault weapons bans, and we basically said, look, based on uh, you know circuit precedent and the case law, we're going to lose. So district court, just go ahead and. and give us a loss so we can move on up to the Fourth Circuit. And we repeated the same thing at the Fourth Circuit so that we could position ourselves for a cert petition. And, of course, once we uh, filed our cert petition, Bruin was still pending. So rather than taking action on it, the Supreme Court let this and several other cases just sit while they were working on the Bruin opinion. Bruin comes out, and what they did in this case, and I believe off the top of my head, it's three others, they granted cert. Uh, they vacated the uh, circuit court opinions, and then they remanded these back to the circuit courts for proceedings consistent with the Bruin opinion that just came out. Now, the circuits took a couple different of approaches. Uh, in the Fourth Circuit, the Fourth Circuit held it and said, okay, let's start briefing and, and get this party started. Uh, other circuits, they remanded them all the way back down to the district court and basically, like, start fresh. Uh, so this one procedurally, fortunately, it was a little further along than some of those other cases dealing with different issues. But we didn't have to go all the way back down to the district court and start completely from scratch just to work our way back up to the Fourth Circuit. OK. Your thoughts on why the Supreme Court granted cert on this case post Bruin. What does that signal something to you about how they felt about this case? In other words, and maybe I, I guess I asked that properly. I want to make sure. But does that also signal to you that the Supreme Court, without a Bruin case, would have granted cert in this and heard an assault weapons ban case in the Fourth Circuit, Bruin or not Bruin, but because of Bruin, that makes that a little bit more plausible? that they are going to take this case because we know it's going to go up there. And I'll tell you why in a minute, ladies and gentlemen, just my personal opinion. But Adam is an attorney, knows a little bit more about this than I do. But is, again, am I phrasing that question properly and, and your thoughts on that? So I'm always loath to guess why the Supreme Court does what the Supreme 
Supreme Court does. Uh, there's Understood. plenty of people smarter than me that, uh, you, know, you know, the folks over at SCOTUS blog that are far more in tune with it that uh, don't always get things right. And some of the inner workings of the court are, you know, they're more or less secret of how that we, we have an idea of how it functions, but what happens happens. Now, what I will opine on is that I don't necessarily think that them granting cert in this case uh, post Bruin vacating and remanded necessarily means that they were going to they would have otherwise granted cert uh, in a street assault weapons ban challenge. Now here's the reason for that. In Bruin, if you read the opinion uh, twice in big flashing lights, they emphasize the test for Second Amendment challenges. And that test is the same test that came out in Heller in 2008. And of course, as we all know the story, or those of us that are at least in tune with the legal things, the circuit courts decided, well, this text is informed by history and tradition. It's all well and good. But what if we make it a two-step test where we first see whether or not this burdens the Second Amendment conduct? And if so, we can do an interest balancing test to see whether or not the government's interest outweighs the uh, the right. And of course, it was never applied with strict scrutiny, the highest burden against the government. It was almost always intermediate scrutiny, which the government won plenty of times. Uh, and sometimes it was so distilled down that it might as well have been a rational basis. So I think what the court was signaling, and again, this is just my opinion with uh, mere conjecture to back it up, but I think what the court was signaling was, hey, we told you what the test was in 2008, and here we are again. And now we're telling you what the test is, the same test that we told you in 2008, but we're telling you again twice, very explicitly in the Bruin opinion. So go back and get it right this time. Uh, and I think that's what you saw. Now, okay. whether or not... Now, oh, hold hold on to that thought. Hold, hold on to that thought. I want you to pick up right there when we get back, because I've got a couple follow-ups, but we're getting ready to hear that music that signals a break. And I don't want to have to stop you. That's a perfect place to end it. When we come back, I'll just say, go ahead and finish that thought so you can stay on that same train there. We're talking with Adam Kraut, attorney. He is also, of course, the executive director of the Second Amendment Foundation. He knows what's going on in these cases, cases, ladies and gentlemen. We've got a few more questions for him relative to this assault weapons ban case because it is a big one. I'll give you my opinion, and we'll get Adam's response when we come back. Don't go away. segment of Armed American Radio's Daily Defense is being brought to you by Daniel Defense. Visit DanielDefense.com. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back to the show, guys. Mark Walters here at AAR Ranch in Georgia. The six-hour studios lit up for you. The Daniel Defense microphone powered up. Mark Walters in front of that microphone, filling your prescription for freedom today and every day on dozens of radio stations around the country on Armed American Radio's Daily Defense. Welcome back in. Adam Kraut. Executive Director, Second Amendment Foundation. We'll go back to let you finish what you were saying, the second part of uh, of what you were talking about relative to the Fourth Circuit. Sure. So as I was saying, I think, you know, with the Supreme Court, uh, we were talking about cert grants and why this particular case and, and what I thought about it prior to Bruin being decided. So I, where I was going with that was if you look at the Second Amendment jurisprudence and, and really just if we say Heller is the start of it for all intents and purposes, 
they started with, yes, there is a right to keep arms in the home. And Heller, of course, does talk about there. And, you know, it's always been my position that it also said bearing arms is constitutionally protected, although that wasn't the focus of the opinion. Right. Uh, and there were some other things, you know, individual right. And, you know, McDonald, the staff case that incorporated the Second Amendment uh, against the states, uh, the due process clause of the 14th Amendment. And, you know, Katano stun guns. And then we get Bruin, which talks about carry and it talks about carry in depth. So I think when you're looking at what the Supreme Court might potentially grant cert in next, uh, logically post-Bruin, it could be any of the issues that arise from Kerry. So these sensitive places cases that are out there, uh, things dealing with permitting and the um, qualifications necessary. So, you know, delays, uh, training, fees, et cetera. Um, but also, you know, the types of arms that are in fact protected by the Second Amendment would be a logical next step of an issue for the Supreme Court to address. Same with magazine capacity. Uh, so I don't think it's outside the realm of feasible that the Supreme Court could decide to hear one of these cases. Uh, it's just simply, you know, a question as to whether that's what it wants to do. And of course, we have no idea what the Supreme Court does or doesn't want to do. Right. Well, you, what I find interesting, and this is where I want to get some correction from you or some reaffirmation maybe of my thoughts on this, because it, it's reported. And I, I had a, a brief chat by text with Mr. Gottlieb earlier before the show. And the fact that this case, and this is what I'll quote, took the rare step of all 14 justices in that, uh, or judges on that circuit, is that done intentionally to get a majority-heavy liberal wing on the court to make this decision? I know I'm asking you a question. We, we, I just want to get your opinion on this. That's what it seems, but I don't know. That's just a guess. It would sure seem that way, particularly if you look at the panel composition. And, of course, you know, a Republican-appointed judge doesn't necessarily mean that it was, in fact, uh, you know, that they are, in fact, conservative and would vote favorably. Sometimes there's horse trading there during administrations of, you know, we'll, we'll let you get this judge if you give us X over in this area of, uh, you know, lawmaking where we want something. But it would seem as if that that panel would have decided favorably. Now, of course, just because you get a favorable panel decision doesn't mean that the state can't request that the court rehear the case on bonk and then the state, right. you know, and then the court grants it. I mean, you see that in the Ninth Circuit. We've seen that in the Ninth Circuit for 50 cases where when there's a favorable panel decision, uh, not all 50 were favorable, but when there was a favorable panel decision, the California government uh, usually would say, hey, Ninth Circuit, uh, can you rehear this on bonk and help us? And the Ninth Circuit would step in and, of course, rule in favor of the government. So I think at the end of the day, um, I mean, it, it's extremely rare for it to go on bonk immediately without a panel decision. Uh, and that would seemingly indicate that there potentially was a favorable decision from the panel and they just didn't want to deal with that. So do you believe that there was a that they saw a favorable decision, that a, that a decision had been rendered by the three judge panel? And that's why they agreed to do this and take this bizarre step. I, Will we ever know I, I that? Know. No, we, we don't know that. I don't know the answer to that. The only thing I would say is based on the time frame, it would be logical that there would, yeah. in theory, be an opinion coming out uh, You know, somewhat soon. Oral argument in this case was completed uh, December of last year, uh, in 2022, rather. Uh, so we're a little over 13 months since that oral argument briefing had already been done. So you'd be in the time frame for an opinion to come out. Uh, 
here's here's my take on this. And maybe we can take this. It's, we've only got a couple minutes, but it'll give us enough time to get a response from you. I believe the entire circuit knew what was going to happen with that three-judge panel. They knew that the state was going to sink an en- uh, seek an en banc panel, and they took the step to just go ahead and do it and push it to the Supreme Court right away. Now, I, to me, this is a good thing, albeit, well, it had been nice if the Fourth Circuit would have put an end to this thing, but without going to the Supreme Court, but that's not going to happen. We know that because of the makeup of the court, or at least we can logically conclude that anyway, or draw an inference that that will happen based on the, the, uh, the judge makeup on that court, 8-6. But nonetheless, I believe we lose this on the 14-judge panel, and the Supreme Court takes it, and this is exactly what we've been waiting for. And as we've predicted over the last couple of years, the Fourth Circuit case is the assault weapons ban case that the Supreme Court takes. Your thoughts on that? Well, I, I'm not going to venture a guess as to whether the Supreme Court takes it or doesn't take it. Because, um, <laughs> a, I, don't I can be completely understand. I understand. <laughs> but as far as, you know, I, I think you're probably not incorrect as to the thinking as to why this went on bonk uh, as it did rather than a panel uh, decision being rendered. But the only thing I would throw out there for consideration is if, if political gamesmanship was in fact actually being played, I would think that in order to make this drag out as long as possible before it potentially goes up to the Supreme Court, uh, you know, a court would have allowed that panel opinion to come out. Um, it would have agreed to rehear it on banc. It would have stayed whatever decision came out of that panel. And away we go again on perhaps another round of briefing and oral argument. And by then, you're, you know, now another year down the road, at right. least. Yeah, that's that's what I think. Because we would have been looking at, you're right, at least, it, it could have been easily one year, likely a, a second year in there on this. Um, to me, it appears there's political gamesmanship. Again, you know, we don't know, but boy, I'll tell you, the optics of it sure, sure look that way. And in today's day and age, Adam, I, you know, as politics, the way politics are being played today, you know, I, don't, I don't trust any institution anymore. That's just the cynic in me. I just don't. I mean, these judges are human beings. They're political animals behind the scenes. We know it. And it, it certainly reeks of that. Adam, where can people watch or, or, uh, or pay attention to and join Second Amendment Foundation? You're doing awesome work. I'm looking forward to, as I said, seeing you next week at Shooting, Hunting, and Outdoor Trade and breaking some bread with you. Where can people get involved with Second Amendment Foundation? Yeah, so the best place is our website at sas.org, S-A-F.org. Of course, you can find us on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube, Twitter, uh, and, you know, follow all of our social channels. Um, it certainly helps us and it helps, uh, you know, uh, uh, spread our message of, you know, the work we're doing and the uh, 57 active cases we have right now. 57 active cases. Man, I'll tell you what, between you and Gottlieb, that's a force to be reckoned with, ladies and gentlemen. Adam Kraut and Alan Gottlieb doing God's work over at the Second Amendment Foundation. Adam, thanks for being here. Looking forward to seeing you in just a few days. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Adam Kraut, Executive Director of the Second Amendment Foundation. Boy, join us over there, please. 150 bucks is a life membership at SAF, and you just got a glimpse, a small taste of why it is so important to be a member of the Second Amendment Foundation and help us in all of these courtroom cases, 57 of them now, and there will be more. There are more coming. Second Amendment Foundation doing the work, I'm telling you, out there putting it to them every single day. Armed American Radio, second hour coming up, six minutes after the hour. Don't go away.
just filled your prescription for freedom with Mark Walters, presented by X-Insurance. X-Insurance. On the Armed American Radio Network. 